The following audio content is a talk given at the Inn, a college ministry of University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website, theinnseattle.org. My name is Becca, and in so many ways, coming here tonight feels like coming home. It's like I never left. Um, it's just, yeah, it's just exciting to be present and be invited to come and speak uh, for us ever in. Um, but, so, what's going on tonight? For those of you who have never been here before, I just want to say welcome. I pray you feel so included tonight, so seen, sought after. My biggest prayer is that you wouldn't leave tonight not meeting somebody new or feel like you've connected in this space in some way, some capacity. Our heart is just to love people so well and to know that this is a ministry with arms open wide. Excited to introduce you to the person of Jesus um, because he's incredible and He's your biggest champion in life. Um, and tonight, I'm excited to take us through a journey of looking at Moses in the Old Testament. And what I have found by looking at the life of Moses is just how relatable he is. I mean, there's a dialogue that we're going to go through tonight. It's just this bantering back and forth between him and God. And I feel like the snapshot that we get in the scriptures is so relevant and so real. And it's such... Like, you'll be so familiar with the way that Moses responds to the Lord as he's interacting with truth that's spoken over him and the ways that all of us here presently today interact with the lies that we're hearing, the labels that Sony was talking about are placed on us. And when the truth comes in, it does something in our spirits. And I just know that the Lord tonight is ready to expose some lies, some subconscious lies that we've got carrying around. And he wants to set some people free. And yeah, we're going to look specifically at the truth that Moses came to interact with. Um, in the beginning of Exodus. And so if you like me and like structure and order, even though I'm trying to be more comfortable without it, uh, the roadmap for tonight, we're continuing our summer series called Two Truths and a Lie. And the format, the flow of the night more or less is that firstly, we're going to start at looking at the truth about who God says Moses is. And then we're going to dig in to look at the truth about who God is, regardless of Moses' circumstances. And finally, we're going to dig into the lie that Moses believed about himself and obviously relate that to where we're at in our process and our journey. And I just want to say, like, whatever comes out of my mouth tonight, like, you're going to get to know my heart really well. Um, you're going to find out what the Lord's been doing in me. And I don't think I've arrived necessarily at all by any means of it, but I've definitely been interacting um, with what I'm going to talk about for at least the last nine months. And I believe it, like this is going to be a part of who I am. And I believe this is a message that I so dearly want you to hear um, and interact with. And I mean, it was just so crazy how God, like, even if you don't realize you're believing a subconscious lie about yourself, how he'll start to just bring it to the surface, right? Uh, he'll start to expose those things in us. And it was like, I couldn't get away from it. Like, I, it's like, he would send strangers to me that I didn't even know at school to address this thing that was going on inside of my heart. And I just felt like he was just saying, like, Becca, it's time to renew your mind. It's time for you to start to think differently about your voice and the influence that it has amongst influential people. And uh, I just finally got to the point where I realized I've just been too kind to the enemy and accusation. I mean, why do we treat him like a friend? I heard someone say at school this statement this year, like, how would we treat a friend who's lied to us as often as our fears have? And I was just dumbfounded by that fact. Like, we, I think, as a community and culture in this day and age, we're too comfortable with the enemy and accusation. And 
I got to the point where I decided today is the day that you're going to be served an eviction notice because you will not talk to me about who I am anymore. You will not attack my voice anymore. And I'm going to invite you to consider what it would look like for you to serve that eviction notice to him today and to believe when you walk out of here that you have something you have something to let loose for the kingdom of heaven, not us through your voice tonight. So before we get into that, I just want to remind you that the Lord loves our process. He's in us on the journey. Moses was all about process. And anytime God exposes something on the inside of us, it's because he's just whispering. Like, he's so excited to take you into a place of intimacy. It's like his favorite thing to draw us in and speak to us so tenderly because it's like he wants his voice to be the one that's heard over us. And he's all about connection. And so no matter where you engage with the Lord tonight, know that he is extending a hand to interact with you tonight. And I believe there's good things that are coming in store for us. So let's bow our heads and pray. I need all the prayers I can. God, I just thank you for tonight. Holy Spirit, I thank you that you're in this room and that you're alive and you're active and you are here to to engage us, Lord. And I just invite us tonight to gain a greater belief in our voices. I just declare that the enemy's whisper to be silent tonight, that you would shut him up and that he would get out of here. And I just pray that we realize that the fears that we really have are just faith in the inferior that we've just placed our faith in the wrong person and God just confront our unbelief, transform the way we think about ourselves. I pray that you would stir our spirits up tonight to see that you created us to have mouths that are eternal gushing fountains to wreak havoc on the kingdom of darkness to set people free around us. So God, come and do a new thing. Give us vision for our neighborhood, our living spaces, our friends, our family. God, I just pray that you would stir up something on the inside of us. In Jesus' name. Amen. All right. I love backstory. It helps get us into the text. So a little backstory of where we are. We're going to we're going to begin tonight in the third chapter of Exodus and a quick summary. I will do my best to be brief would be that Joseph, who man Look at the life of Joseph. God took him. He, God is the author and divine creator of taking bad things and bringing an amazing plan out of it. But eventually, Joseph finds himself taking his entire family. His uh, Jacob is his dad, and he leads his 11 brothers into live in Egypt. And the Pharaoh at that point um, is in great relationship with Joseph. And because he saved their entire, because um, he saved Egypt from a famine and people from starvation, he welcomes them into their community and says, you can live here, your entire family. And between that um, season, about 400 years pass with new pharaohs and new kings that come to rule and to reign. And as time goes on, there's a new king on the scene. There's a new pharaoh that's on the scene. And suddenly he's looking at these Israelites and his land and going, they've actually fulfilled God's mandate to be fruitful and multiply. And there's a lot of them. And the Israelites are growing in number. And because they're growing and increasing in number, they actually are becoming to be a threat to the king, and he's afraid that eventually one day the Israelites or the Hebrew people would come and overturn them and uh, remove him from power. And so there's grief that takes place in the land because he ends, the Pharaoh makes a decree to brutally enslave um, the Hebrews and the Israelites and bring them into forced labor. And eventually orders that all Israel boys that were born to be drowned in the Nile River. 
Now there's a Levite woman who birthed a son and she, like the scriptures talked about, she was just in awe of how incredible her young baby was. And she hid him for three months because she, she didn't want to give him up. She refused to listen to what Pharaoh had to say about her son. And one day when it got to the point that she no longer could hide him, she put him in a basket. And I'm sure you've heard this story. And she placed him in the reeds and the river and waited to see what would come upon her son. And that's when the daughter of Pharaoh came down to the river to bathe, saw the basket. And the story goes on that Moses eventually, she named him Moses, was adopted and brought into the family to be raised by royalty to... Um, become part of the Egyptian family. And it's as Moses had grown up that one day he went out to look upon his people. And as he was out engaging and looking upon his people, he saw some Egyptian uh, ruler was actually attacking one of his Hebrew people. And this social justice thing, I'm sure, came upon his spirit, seeing somebody that he loved so much have to engage with something that just felt so brutal. And when knowing was looking, he actually committed murder and killed the man But the next day, and something that he thought he got away with and nobody would find out about soon, not only does Pharaoh know and is ready to go and try and kill Moses so he has to flee, but also Moses' people, the Hebrew people, are looking at him in grief, like, how are you? How how have you done this? And so from his people and the family that he grew up with are suddenly not on his side anymore. And so Moses leaves and he settles eventually in a land called Midian where he is there for the next 40 years or so. And so where we pick up in scripture tonight, Moses is now married and he's tending to his father-in-law's sheep when suddenly he discovers a burning bush. And we're going to read the word of the Lord. All right. Exodus 3, verses 2 through 4, and I'm just going to take a quick moment. It's impossible to actually read all of the, all the verses to you tonight because there's just too many. Um, so we're, I'm going to do some, I'm going to, yeah, I'm going to be summarizing some things and trying to move quickly through here. So if I jump from one thing to the next, I'll do my best to make sure all things are communicated to you. Anyway, so here we are. Chapter 3, verse 2. And it said, And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses, and he said, Here I am. Now I've heard a lot of people have talked about this burning bush moment, and... I can understand why they would say this, but often I've heard pastors like engage the fact that like, wow, the burning bush was on fire. Like that's the miracle. Like, can you walk, can you imagine walking down the ab and seeing a burning bush? Like odds it probably won't happen. But I think what's, I think something to process for us is that Moses has been now in the desert for about 40 years. I think if you go over to Eastern Washington, how many wildfires do you experience in a summertime? Like it's such a hot, um, region that I'm sure the sight of a burning bush isn't actually something that Moses is unfamiliar with um, because of the region that he uh, was tending the sheep in. But I think what the real miracle is and what we've missed looking into the scripture is the miracle is that Moses recognized when the presence fell. He recognizes a moment where suddenly something's going on in this bush and he turns himself, he postures himself to engage it. And I love this, I love this moment because as he turned his posture towards him, suddenly he heard the voice of the Lord start to speak. 
He heard the Lord start to engage him. And I think there's plenty of burning bush type of moments where the presence would come and come to interact with us. And it's going to be a miracle. The Lord, I feel like tonight is just going to bring an ability for us to recognize the moments when he wants to come to speak. And he's inviting us to listen to his voice because he has um, something incredible to invite us into. Um, so here we are, Moses and the bush, and the Lord's talking. Going on, verse 7. Then the Lord said, I have a... So this is what he says, or, yeah, and Moses responds like he can't believe that God is there in, in his presence talking to him. And the Lord responds, I have surely seen the afflictions of my people who are in Egypt, and I've heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I've come down to deliver them out of the hands of the Egyptians and to bring them up and out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey. Down to verse 10, come and I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. I just want to take note that I love that God sees the affliction of his people. He's a God who's aware of what's going on. My heart is crying out before him like, I know this isn't new news to you guys, but like we have king sitting on a throne and having us aware and as attentive to what's going on in the inside and these Israelites are under such oppression because of this. And here comes God saying, I've chosen Moses. Moses is going to be my deliverer. And that's one of the first truths that I said we're going to come upon tonight. The fact that the truth about who God says Moses is, is that Moses is a deliverer. Moses isn't a murderer. Moses is actually going to be their deliverer. And I love, let's look at Moses' response back to God. How, how much will we relate to this? But Moses said to God, who am I? Who am I that I, me, that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? Who am I? And God responds, but I will be with you. But despite the reality of him knowing that God would be with him, the question that so he can't get out of his head is, who am I to do this? Do you not know my history, God? Do you not see what I've done? How could I be somebody that you would flip things on its head and that I would be the one to deliver my people out of Egypt. And when I think back to when God was forming Moses in his mother's womb, like, I just believe, like, God was sitting there like, yes, Moses has been born into the world. Get ready to see what I do in him and through him. And I am going to, I purpose for him to actually be raised by the Egyptian royal family. Like there's something that God had in mind when he knew ahead of time that he would need somebody that would be willing to stand in the gap on behalf of a nation and be willing to say, I'm going to be the one that's going to bring these people into freedom. But it requires somebody to think differently. It requires somebody that's going to have a different way of thinking. And I know many of us in this room could articulate times and seasons in our life where we felt oppression and we felt we've been chained to something going on and we we haven't been able to get out... Um, we haven't been able to get ourselves out of the shackles. And I feel like we've, many of us have gone through a time when it's like, we can't even see beyond the present moment. Like, how could things ever look differently? How could I begin to imagine my life without this hopelessness hanging around with me? Um, but Moses was different. He was the only Israelite who was raised to think differently because he was brought up in a different family and he was not brought up enslaved like the rest of his people. And something that I wanted to take note of tonight was that he had to be raised like a prince internally so that he could set his people free externally. 
I want to say that again. He had to be raised like a prince internally to set his people free externally. Because if we're enslaved internally, how are we going to be able to set the people around us free? Pain that's not transformed is always going to be transferred. If I can't find, resolve, whatever I'm going to be going, whatever I'm giving away, whatever's going to be leaking out of me is my pain if I haven't experienced resolve with it, right? And I think this is really similar, and I know, like, the end talks about this so much, and I know that third drives us home so well, all about identity and what it means to be a son and a daughter of the king. Um, And there's something going on where, like, God raised Moses to not carry an orphan mentality. He, he was raised in a home and a nose like to be a son that can ask for things and expect a response. That he could use his voice for something and actually see change and transformation take place. And, but now we have Moses who's left the, he's left the palace. He's been gone for 40 years. He's been in the wilderness in so many different ways. And I'm sure he's gotten to a place where he's begun to forget his position as, as a son. Because his physical circumstances look different, right? He's forgotten his position as a son, and here comes God on the scene, ready to remind him, do you remember who I've created you to be? Do you remember what it was like to be raised with a mentality where you believe in who I am because of who I am inside of you? So let's keep going. Verses 13, the dialogue continues between Moses and God. Moses says, well, he'll be with me, but... But God, if I come to the people of Israel and I say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, well, what is his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob has appeared to me saying, I have observed you and I have been, and what has been done to you in Egypt. And I promise that I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt in the land too. And I will bring you out of that into a place flowing with milk and honey, and they will listen to your voice. This statement, I am who I am, carries a timelessness to it. I think when we read it, it's easy to just pass it by, like God is just proclaiming himself for the first time. This is actually the first time he tells somebody who he is. He uses, he uses language for a name for himself. And I think in translating it to English, we've lost sight of exactly the gravity of what he's saying, but he's saying, like, I am who I am. I'm going to be who you need me to be in any present moment. When you call upon me, the I am is going to show up. I am a deliverer. I am a healer. I am going to bring you out of this affliction. That's what God is saying. Like, you can introduce me to them as the I am that's going to show up. I am who I am. How often do we need to remind it that the I am who I am actually lives on the inside of us and is present in all of our circumstances? And look what he says after him. And I want you to go grab the elders and... I want you to tell them, like, God, I, God sees you. He sees your affliction. Like, Moses, I want to use your voice to help them know that the I am who I am who's sitting on the throne of heaven is aware of what they're going through. And later the scripture talks about inviting Moses and the elders to actually go to the king and go before the king and say to them, the Lord has been with us and he is asking us to go on this three-day journey into the wilderness and to sacrifice to our Lord and... You need to, like, we need to leave, and you need to give us the permission to go. 
And God warns Moses, he said, the king of Egypt is going to be really not excited about this. And he will not let you go unless compelled by my mighty hands. So I'm going to strike Egypt with wonders that will eventually cause him to let, uh, to let you go. And I can imagine hearing this like big mandate from God, like he's inviting him to do something super radical, something that's so outrageous. And Moses knew like, well, I can't go to these people on behalf of my name. Moses can't deliver them, but it's the I am who I am that is with Moses. Like Moses can go in his name. He didn't have the power and the authority because he came from Pharaoh's court, but it's because he came in the majestic name of God. He came in the majestic name of God. And the Israelites would know that the God of Israel was about to set them free, even if Pharaoh opposed what Moses was doing. And so as Moses hears this, we keep going. Um, Exodus chapter 4 to verse 1 that says, Then Moses answered, But behold, God, here we go again, another excuse. But behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice, for they will say, The Lord did not appear to you. And the Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? And he said, it is a staff. And he said, throw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground and it became a serpent. And Moses ran from it. But the Lord said to Moses, put out your hand and catch it by the tail. So he put out his hand and he caught it and it became a staff in his hand that they might believe that the Lord has appeared to you. I think this, I was reading actually a commentary um, around these different signs. And there's two other signs that God gave Moses. But this one in particular about throwing his stuff on the ground was a while to me. I'd never had seen this before. But this commentary was actually painting this image of when Moses would go and he would throw his stuff on the ground. It actually was, it was like an analogy to what the Israelites were experiencing from the government of Pharaoh. So imagine Pharaoh with his own staff, his own rod, his own ruling governing authority, and how Pharaoh has shifted into, he's come out of a governing style that created peace in the land, but now suddenly he has this governing style that's bringing oppression, that's bringing evil. And so when Moses would go and have that staff and throw it on the ground, and it becomes a serpent, they're seeing with their eyes, actually, this is something that I'm encountering right now. Like, this is the type of ruler, and this is the type of oppression we've been experiencing. And so, but Lord is sick when he tells him, but I actually want you to grab it by your hands. I want you to grab it by your hands, and I want you to actually pick it back up. And what's happening in that moment is the Israelites are going to watch Moses pick up that, to pick up the serpent, and it's showing him, like, he actually has authority over what they're experiencing. Like, God's going to empower Moses to transform the government experience that they're, um, that are, they're too familiar with, I guess would be a way to put it. And so, in this moment, I just had never thought through this picture of them seeing it's like this miracle that you're displaying is really what we're going through. And so, but I think Moses, again, is super afraid. He's being, he's afraid of being rejected again by his people. Like, the Hebrew people coming to him and just saying, how could you actually convince me that you're the one that God has sent? But him being able to display God's power and authority through this significance and this miracle is going to be the thing that changes them around. And the Lord knows it. He knows it. Um, and so I just want to reiterate the truth that when God's presence shows up, he's always coming to empower us. He's always coming to equip us. He's going to give us the tools. He's going to give us the things that we need in the moment when we see oppression to bring people up and out of that. And Moses, again, 
who keep going. <laughs> Man, this dialogue is so familiar. God says one thing, and then, but God. God speaks some truth, gives some promise, but God. So here we are in verse 10. It says, but then Moses said to the Lord, oh, my Lord, I am not eloquent either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and of tongue. And then the Lord said to him, who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seen or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now, therefore, go, and I will be your mouth, and I will teach you what you shall speak. And the lie that Moses was believing in this moment was, how can my voice set the oppressed free? How could I be the one that God has chosen for this moment? And you hear Moses responds immediately, but oh my Lord, please send somebody else in verse 13. Please send somebody else instead of me. You somebody else but instead of me. God, I don't want to stop and talk and interact with that stranger and share what you're asking them to, to say through me. Like, God, please use somebody else to send to this homeless person that I'm seeing on the street who needs help. God, please, God, the person that's experiencing anxiety and that's my roommate, would you just sing, would you send somebody else to them to help them out? Like, this dialogue is so familiar. And here's the Lord. It says that the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses, and he said, Is there not Aaron, your brother, the Levite? I know that he can speak well. Behold, he is coming out to meet you, and when he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. You shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth, and I will be your mouth and with his mouth, and will teach you both what to do. He shall speak for you to the people, and he shall be your mouth, and you shall... Be as God to him and take in your hand the staff with which you shall do the signs. At this point in this dialogue, I know many of us are sitting here going, whoa, this is familiar. I'm resonating. But the good news is that Jesus is only highlighting this to us because he's really excited on what's the other side of the conversation. The guilt and shame or anything that's stirring up that was never God's intention right now. He actually is just excited to bring an invitation for you to begin to think differently. And this is the invitation that the Lord started to bring me. He started asking me the same questions. And here I was. Well, God, who am I? He's like, well, I'll be with you. And every time I ask you to step out, the moment you recognize the burning bush moment and I invite you into something, I mean, the dialogue, it just goes so, it happens all the time. Like, but he promises me that I, that he's with me. Well then, God, how can I walk in confidence in this situation that I know you're going to show up? It's like, well, you're coming on behalf of my name, like you're walking on behalf of the I am who I am. Well, God, well, what, if, what if they don't listen to my voice? So well, I've, equip, I've equipped you. I've actually given you my authority, and I've given you my power to release heaven on this earth. But God, what if I don't even know the right words to use? What if I'm stuck God, I've created your voice. I'm the one who was the author and the creator of your mouth. And I'm the one who actually put my, I put my thoughts in yours and that you get to speak for me on behalf of me. I've prepared you. Like, you're so ready. You're so, ver- you're so available. And I, I just can't stop hearing the invitation from the Lord that he's been giving me, um, this year is just this, this concept of I'm always with you, Becca. You can do all things in my name. Not because you're special, but it's because you are a daughter first. It's because you guys are sons first. And it's because out of that identity, we can step into all things because it's the Holy Spirit living on the inside of us. And I just think back to the moment in heaven when Jesus was just about to release his last breath on the cross. And I can imagine the Godhead and his toe, like his toes curled 
back as he's hovering over his throne room chair and they're looking down on the earth and they're looking at Jesus. And I can just imagine the thing that the moment that they're waiting for and in the midst of the agony that, Je- or that God is seeing as he watches his son on the cross, something is happening. He knew that something good was going to come out of this. And the Bible says the moment that Jesus died, the veil was torn. And the split second that God had access, boom, the veil was torn. I mean, it was the moment that came after Jesus' death where Jesus just said, I'm coming for my people. I'm coming in the form of intimacy. I don't want anything to keep me from my kids. I don't want anything to stop my voice from being heard over them. Like, can you picture Jesus here today in this moment and him hovering over his chair up in heaven right now, looking down upon you and being like, I tore the veil in half so that I could have active relationship with you, so that you could hear my voice, that you would hear the empowerment of me, that I am with you, I prepared you, I've equipped you, anything that I'm inviting you into in your neighborhood, and your living situation, and your family, all of this stuff, like, I have come and I've prepared you, you are ready. There's such hope because of the foundation that we have, because of who Jesus is on the inside of us, and I just know that, like, we have the biggest person living on the inside of us. And I think it's time that this neighborhood starts to see the one that's big on the inside of us. I just hear the invitation. He's saying, is it time to leak the spirit of God that is living on the inside of you? That when you walk down a street and you interact with people, that his presence is coming out of us, right? It's like recognizing and seeing our friends and our family that are impressed in this neighborhood and going, I know the person of hope to introduce you to. I know that he's, he's a God of joy and he wants to actually invite them into joy. Like God is a God of restoration and he wants to bring transformation and he wants us to believe that our voice is powerful. That when we speak that amongst influential people or in the side of such opposition that our voice would carry because God's with us and God's present and God is always about invitation. He's always about wanting to use us to bring about the glory on the earth. I had, about four months ago, I was literally on my knees before the Lord hearing this message. I don't remember anything about it. Like, all of what I said did not copy from that night. I mean, it was a blur. But all that I was hearing, all that I was hearing from the Lord was, what would be released in the earth if you believed what the I am who I am says about who I am? What if, Becca, you believed what the I am who I am says about who that I am? Becca, are you willing to sacrifice your beliefs about yourself and the beliefs that you have about your voice? Are you willing to give up your current mindset and to begin the process, the dialogue with me, the journey that I'm going to take you through so that you would believe that you could use your voice in the midst of seeing opposition and set your friends and family and your community and strangers free from what they're experiencing? What if the giant's mouths were closed and your voice was the one that was awakening the earth? What if you silenced the enemy's opposition and you began to be a vessel of life? And suddenly the invitations came because what I said to the Lord that night was like, you can have all of me. I am who I am. I'll come into agreement with what you say about who that I am. I will not go one more day. And I think, and we're going to dig a little bit into this, was Aaron was never God's original plan. Aaron was a backup plan. This whole time, I mean, I think the majority of us know the rest of the story that Moses and Aaron together eventually lead their people through the Red Sea and are delivered. 
from the hands of Pharaoh, but I just believe that Aaron was never part of God's original thought process when he thought, I will use Moses. He will be my deliverer. There's not another one that I had intended to use. And that's exciting because when you hear his voice give you the invitation, that's when he had you in mind. And there is no backup plan. I mean, there really could be. God would bring somebody else, I would imagine. But I think there's something, I think what I'm wanting to stir up in you is for you to recognize this complacency that's on the inside of us. And I know it's in me. And I've been asking the Lord to break me of this complacency, to break me from, I'm just too busy to be interrupted, God. I'm witnessing something I'm seeing with my eyes, and I know that's not what you have in mind for that person. But God, would you bring a holy conviction on the inside of me that would cause me to think that my fear is just too small and that really my belief in God is just too big, God, and that you would get me to a point where I just can't help. That would be shameless about telling people how good Jesus is. Two days after this encounter, I'm walking, I'm in, actually I was on a mission trip and I was in Australia and I'm walking down this random road in Melbourne, from Melbourne, my husband was there, and there's this woman in a car, and I just see her out of my eyes, just like a normal person in their car, and her arms are draped over her steering wheel, and something in me just stopped, and all of a sudden, it was like the burning bush moment, like God just was like standing in front of me, so you're going to do something about that, are you going to go back there, are you going to ask if she's okay, and I'm like, I'm not going to. I'm not going to knock on a stranger's window. Like, are you kidding me, God? She looks like she's having an awful day. Yeah, that's why I'm sending you to her. And I'm sitting there like, this has got to be probably the weirdest moment of my life. So here I go. Somebody on our team was like, I'll go with you. Like, I'm feeling the stirring as well. Like, I've got conviction that I can't just keep walking past this person. So here we are. We're trying to look as less creepy as possible. And this girl starts rolling down her window. And she's looking at me like I'm crazy. And I feel, as an American, crazy. And uh, as we look eye to eye, I just said, like, I don't know what's going on. But love compelled me to come knock on your window. Like, I I see you draped over your steering wheel. And I, I can see something's wrong. And I just couldn't keep walking without coming to check in on you. Like, are you okay? Is there is there anything I can do for you? And this girl, her, I mean, she's probably like mid-twenties, looks up at me and she just goes, I'm having an epidemic attack in the car right now. Well, I know the Prince of Peace and he's so excited to come and connect with you. And I was like, I don't know what you believe about Jesus, but I believe that he can come and actually make your anxiety attack leave because he wants to fill your car with the atmosphere of peace. Like, would you be open to me praying for you to experience his peace? And she just looks at me like, Sure. And here I am, me and my friends. I'm like, this is nuts. I'm like, Holy Spirit, I just pray that you would come and you would overwhelm the thing that's overwhelming her right now. Would you come, God? I believe that my voice matters. I believe that you gave me this divine appointment because you wanted to release something into the earth through me, right? The girl eventually just goes, this is the weirdest afternoon of my life, but I feel great. (laughs) And just looks at me in the eyes and just goes, what's going on? And then eventually, 10 minutes later, she opens up and she says, you know, I actually used to go to church. And I stopped going about three months ago because I embarrassed myself too much in this community. And I'm telling you, this probably has to be Jesus telling me it's time to go back. And I'm really not supposed to walk away from this community. How sobering is that reality to know that that dialogue, that that sweet girl in Australia would have in her head, like she would see Jesus pursuing her through me, but what is it, our fears that get in the way that keep us from stepping out and believing? Like, I just know that anytime God wants me to use my voice, here comes the 
here comes the opposition that's going to come right on with it, right? Because enemy is like, no, I don't want you to use your voice. Like, I'm going to make you feel intimidated. I'm going to make you feel scared. Like, I don't want breakthrough for this other person, right? And the invitations have continued to happen. Michael and I come back to Seattle, and we're experiencing God. Like, I'm not that I'm special, but it's like, we're not special people by at any means. And this is, I hope you hear tonight, like, this is nothing about us. This is not, like, me stoking pride. I feel like there's plenty of times I've totally ignored God and walked away and been like, I know you asked me to do that, and I didn't do that. So I'm sharing my journey and my process with you, and what I what I hope you're hearing is it's more the reality that, like, Jesus is wanting to be introduced to people, and he will use us. In our weakness, he will use us. Even when we don't have anything put together, he's going to use us. And there was a morning... That when the first weeks we were back, um, my dad invited as one of his best friends passed away, and there was a service, a memorial service, and my dad and my siblings, my mom, like we all were going, and all of a sudden I heard as I was leaving my house, I felt prompted. I had my burning bush moment, and I heard the Lord say, You're gonna pray over somebody at the memorial service. I'm like, huh? And I'm like, my dad's friends, like, you're going to go make me talk to one of my dad's friends. I'm like, I don't know. And I just heard him say, like, there'll be an invitation. And all of a sudden, at the start of a thing, my dad comes walking up to me and he goes, there's a friend of mine that's here. And I don't know, I just know when you pray, it's really powerful. And it actually, things happen when you pray. And my friend was diagnosed with cancer and his esophagus, and he was just given 18 months left to live. And I just, Becca, will you please go over and you pray for him? Because I, like, I can't stand to see one of my dearest friends um, have to, like, walk through this. And I'm just staring at my dad, like, you want me to go pray for your friend? And so... Long story short, like, we meet Cliff, he's the kindest man, and I'm sitting there like, you probably think I'm crazy, but it was just like, so much hope just started coming upon me, and like, pouring out over me. I was like, I don't know why, I just have so much hope for you. Like, I just don't believe that death is going to be the final word over your life. Like, I actually believe that I want, I'm somebody that wants to stand here, that God's eyes would look to and fro the earth, looking for the person that would stand on behalf of another. They would be willing to intercede and say, God, will you show up and you do something different? They might not know the power of Jesus and what it can do in their life, but will you be open to praying? And I looked at him and I go, I don't know why, like, whether it's through a miracle or doctors healing your body through medicine, both are amazing. But I just believe that even though you've had this spoken over you, God's going to do something different. And we got to pray. And last weekend, I was at my cabin, and my dad walks up and starts to play a voicemail. And it's been a month now, and the voicemail was of the brother-in-law sharing the news that they got the CAT scans back, and that the tumors were decreasing in size. And it's just like, what? You would use me? You would use me? It's radical. It's literally radical. And I'm... I don't know what to say when God doesn't heal, but I'm not going to allow my unbelief and my fear to keep me from showing up to pray. I, I'm, not, I'm not the one who creates any outcome. He's just asking me to be obedient, right? He's asking for the yes in my spirit that says, I see oppression, I see somebody in bondage, and I'm willing to stand in the gap on behalf of that person and just say, God, will you please show up and do a new thing? I'm not going to be somebody looking for an errand. I'm going to be the Moses that said, you've given me the assignment and my spirit is going to say yes. I'm at this point in my life now where, and I hope this would become your reality, where your fears are really just too strong in comparison to how much you're so excited about who God is. And this is a community that's saying, if you're struggling to even believe that God is a God of hope, that God is a God who heals, if God is this person that he says he is in the scriptures, like this community is one that wants to invite you into invitation. 
to get to know the person of Jesus a little bit more. And I know we carry history and we carry pain. And we can point to and just say, well, Jesus didn't show up here. And look at my circumstances. And I, I just say, there's stuff we're not going to understand. And there's stuff that we're not going to know. But there's a big God living on the inside of us. And a big one that he wants to use our mouth to do something powerful through it. And I just believe that on this campus, like I believe God is stirring something crazy here at Utah. It is no accident that you're here. It is no accident that you got into University of Washington or a surrounding school. Are you living in this neighborhood and you're here tonight? Like, it is no accident that right now you're hearing an invitation. And I just believe that over the next couple of days, especially, you're going to have a moment where you're sitting in a cafe or you're in summer school or you're at your job and somebody's just going to start complaining about their pain to you. Or they're just going to start telling you about their fear. Or they're going to start opening up to you about their insecurities or their anxiety or they're going to share the ways that they're feeling bound believers or not believers but I feel like you're going to start to notice and what God is doing is saying I trust you enough to do something about it I trust that you're going to respond to that moment I trust that you might even just give the offer of just like if you're open to it I actually know somebody that wants to bring you into freedom and if you would want to have more conversation about it I'd love to share my story and I think all of us carry a story in this room. We all carry some, some sort of way. I think, I think most of us would say we have at least one testimony that we said, God showed up and did this thing in my life. And God will use that testimony again and again and again to point people back to him. He did it in you so that people would be pointed back to him. And then the eyes, all the eyes on the earth would look to Jesus and just saying, you you're the one that deserves it all. It is all about who you are. And you would use little old us. And so this has been a beautiful season where I just feel like the Lord has just renewed my belief about my voice. I've basically winged tonight, and that is shocking. And I came in here just going, how are you going to use my voice to do anything and everything? But the Lord is just saying, are you willing? That's all I'm asking you for. Because when you do it, I show up. I'm with you. I've equipped you. I put my words in your mouth. And I am no more more equipped for ministry and talking to somebody in a cafe than you are. Like, we're on the even playing fields. We're all in this together. And I just want to invite you to dream big. Start to dream for, start to dream about your, your housing situations. Like, I don't know why I'm going to share this story. I, I'm sorry about time. There's one more. In college. I just want to paint a picture of where I've come. In college. I was in a sorority. I was a theta. It was great. And I experienced lots of emotions in that house. But anyways, my, I'm coming back from my junior year and I'm coming into recruitment, right? And as I'm coming in, I'm just, I mean, there's a war in my head. It's just, I don't want to be here. I don't believe in the process. How could anyone want to use me? I'm bitter because last year the Rush leadership team just didn't want to use me. And I was buried in a basement all day and was never used to interact with anybody. Like, how could I be of value in this process? And swine flu was going around, like breaking out, like pandemic in this area. And they were making, if you got sick, that you had to go home. And so I prayed, God, will you give me swine flu so I can leave? In one hour, I have a 103 degree fever. I'm not even making this up. I have a 103 degree fever. I'm suddenly getting so sick and I'm like, hallelujah. He listened. I'm gone. So I go home. I'm so happy. I'm from Sammamish. So I didn't go. I didn't have to go very far. But I'm just thinking, yes, I don't have to be used in recruitment because it doesn't matter anyways. And it's all just about judgmental people. And 
I made it about four days home, which is pretty long. God was really just letting me throw my tantrum. And um, all of a sudden, it was like a Sunday night, and all of a sudden, I just feel impressed upon me. Like, you will pack your bags, and you'll go back tomorrow. You will pack your bags, you'll go back tomorrow, and you will see what I have in store for you. And do not ever come into agreement again that I cannot use you in a space like this. I go back the next morning, every single conversation, and I'm not even making it up, a girl would sit in front of me and she goes, so, I I don't know if you're into this, but I believe in Jesus. And I'm wondering if you, does like anyone in this house that a believer, or like other Christians in this home that I could find community in? And I'm like, yeah, you've got me. Um, and it was just conversation after conversation. I mean, from 9 in the morning until 6 p.m. at night, girl after girl, it got to the point where I just started expecting it. I was like, they're just being sent to me, like divinely orchestrated. Like God, and God was just making such a point to me, like, Becca, I need you. Even in a process that seems challenging, even in a situation where you think you have nothing to say, do not think that I will not bring people to you because I need you. I need you where you live. I need your influence. I need you to be able to stand in confidence that I've put you in that place for such a time as this. Like you would be Esther's. This room would be Esther's in your dorm. You would be Esther's on this campus and saying, God, you've put me here for such a time as this because you're excited and you're wildly pumped about what you're going to do for me this year. And there's incoming freshmen that are about to hit this neighborhood. There's incoming students that are coming from all over the world and are national students that don't have friendship with people. And I just give you the invitation to think outside of yourself for the first time and just say, God, it's not about me, but it's, but it's about you. It's believing, dreaming with you, being awakened to the reality that you can do something radical in this neighborhood. And I just know that the gospel is wreaking havoc on what the enemy had intended for it. And the truth that can come out of your mouth when you believe, when you come into belief of what Jesus says about you, God can do amazing things. So if you feel, I just feel called to pray over everybody tonight just for invitations and for God to just continue the process of wherever he's meeting you at tonight. And so if you feel like, yes, Becca, this relates, I just want to invite you to stand. And I just want you to stand and just make a declaration statement tonight. And just be like, God, I'm drawing a line in the sand. I'm ready to step on the other side of that. I'm willing to begin the process to let you define who I am, to allow the I am who I am says about who you are, and to make the statement like, God, I, I'm going to not look for an errand anymore. I'm going to believe. I'm going to, I'm going to, even in my fears, I'm going to process my fears with you, but I want you to radically shift something inside of me. If that's where you're at tonight, I just invite you to stand. We're going to pray, and then we're going to go back into a time of worship. So there's no pressure. You don't need to, but I just believe God wants to meet you in your willingness to step out. So, Holy Spirit, I thank you for tonight. I thank you for what you're doing in this room, God, and I just thank you that you're speaking. Thank you that you're wakening us up to see the value in our voice. You're waking us up to believe that there's some amazing divine plan that you have in us and through us on this campus, God. Thank you that you're so big inside of us, God, and I just thank you for the vulnerability in this room that would make us stand and just say, God, show up and do something through me. Show up and do a new thing in me, God. And I just pray that you would breathe boldness over this room. That you would come and breathe confidence over this room, God. I pray that you would eradicate fears tonight about their voices, God. I pray that they would begin a healing process around their voice. God, that you would restore their voices back to them, God. I pray that you would walk with them in the memories, the painful memories, the history, where they were told that their voice 
wasn't valuable. It wasn't needed. It wasn't wanted, God. I just, I pray that you begin the healing process. And God, would you restore our voices back for your kingdom purposes, God. I just thank you for what these men and women in this room who are going to be the army that they're going to be on this campus, God. I just thank you for the divine appointments that you have for them with their friends, with their families, with strangers, God. Would you not, would your voice speak so clearly to us, God? And I pray just for a wild amazement for us to just be in shock and awe at the ways that when we step out, God, that you meet us in the faith risk and it's you that really shows up and does a thing in us, God. And I just thank you for the glory that you're going to receive because because of our boldness in the future. We love you. Amen. Would you stand and continue to worship with us through song? Amen.